Well, we are in the Gospel of Luke tonight, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It's 1227 in your pew Bibles, if you want to reach out and grab those, although I know most of you already have it memorized in the original Greek, so don't worry about it. Uh, it says this, <laughs> he entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and he said to the Lord, look, Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. All right, so today we're going to consider a uh, story uh, that many of you cannot listen to without humming the children's song in your head. Um, how many remember the children's song when you went to VBS? Okay, so most, all right, so we're not, not making this up out of thin air. I, 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 this is one of my favorite VBS songs, Sunday school songs, uh, one of them. I really liked Deep and Wide. Did you guys have Deep and Wide? That was one of my favorite ones because you got to substitute the mm and mm at some point, and that was really fun as a child, and there's hand motions with it. Um, the best... The best song at VBS every year was the one that happened each year when our pastor for the church, Dr. Bear, Reverend Bear, would come in and he would actually lead a song during VBS. And it was unbelievable to us that this kind of thing could happen in the world. Because Dr. Bear wore the robe all the time and he spoke in King James English and had a deep booming voice and he he was just, a, he was right next to God. You know, he's a big booming guy and, and uh, I had such such reverence for him as a person. I think the only person that probably had more reverence for his job than me uh, was him, to be honest with you. But, um, and so it was a bit out of character for him to come up in like in plain clothes, like not even a robe, right? He'd come up and it was a weekday and he would get up and he would lead a song, uh, which was just, it blew our minds that, that uh, Dr. Bear would do that. And he would lead a song and it was uh, inside, outside, you know, this one, inside, outside, upside, downside, happy all the time. Jesus Christ came in and wiped away my sins. I'm inside, outside, upside, downside, happy all the time, which is um, horrific theology uh, because no, I'm not. <laughs> that's not how that's not how it works, right? And Jesus wasn't. So, but apart from the terrible theology, we go faster and faster. And he had hand motions, and he was moving his hands, which was huge because if you would have raised your hands during a Sunday morning service, um, you know, we would have had a committee meeting before the sermon took place, and so. It was just, it was all the excitement I could muster as a little kid in that church that he would get up and sing that each time. But I loved, I loved the Zacchaeus song. And I loved it in part because it was just, it was such a, so vivid. Um, it's not a well-written song, like at all, if you break it apart. The first two lines are totally redundant. It kind of just drops off out of nowhere. It, it, it's really fast. There's like four or five lines of the whole thing. It's not a great song, but I loved it. And it was Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, and, I, and I thought, as a little kid, I thought, like six inch tall. Like I thought there was like the six inch tall little dude running around Jesus' feet and I was very excited about that idea. Um, anyways, 
I loved that song. Uh, and I thought, you know, that was such an important part of so many of us growing up. I thought tonight uh, I asked um, Olivia, uh, who works with kids and does like arts and stuff like that, if she might not uh, come up. If you don't mind standing up. And I realized we're not going ha- to be able to hear you unless you come up over here. I apologize. I know I told you you could stand up right where you are. But uh, we need to kind of get you on, on camera and, and maybe over my microphone. And so um, what, I, what I asked uh, her to do, sorry? Brittany has a mic? I don't know if it's going in. She doesn't need a mic, I don't think. I think you can build here. But um, I just said, you know, just think about kids and how kids love songs and just sing it, sing it like that. So if you don't mind, go ahead, just go ahead and leave. We're going to do the, the Zacchaeus song real quick. I want the original one first. The wee Little Man, do you remember that one? Y'all know it. Perfect. Thank you very much. That was great. <laughs> We're going to save that other one for me. There's a reason why I didn't sing that, because uh, what, what comes out of my mouth is not a glorious noise. That was perfect, right? And I, I loved that song. Um, my, the problem we might have is that oftentimes we are more informed by that children's song than the actual story and what's going on in the story. And so I'm going to confess to you tonight that what I really set about to do tonight um, is to just go ahead and ruin that childhood memory for you and just just ruin that song that might mean so much to so many of you. Um, as it's sung and generally understood, the story of Zacchaeus goes as such. He was a short man. He was a short man who had trouble seeing things because he was in the back row behind the crowd. Not only was he short in stature, but he was also shifty, selfish, right? He capitalized off other people's misery because he was a tax collector, but he wasn't just any tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was a tax collector above tax collectors, right? Which by the virtue of uh, transitive properties, if I remember math right, makes him super bad. He's super bad, right? And so he's short and he's selfish and he's sinner and he's super bad. And this crooked little man, for some mysterious reason, decides he wants to hear Jesus. And so he embarrassingly climbs up a tree so he has more access to Jesus because of the crowd. And then Jesus walks by and befriends him. And the wee little sinner repents. He pays back those he ripped off. And Jesus goes to his house to hang out with this newly redeemed sinner. Sound about right? Yeah. I think that's how we all taught it, how we sang it, how we thought about it. So tonight, I just the main thing I want to argue is that virtually everything I just said is not correct. Um, With the possible exception of tree climbing. Tree climbing, I feel pretty good about. But other than that, um, there are some things in our English, and I know this has happened a few times lately, and I think you guys are going to start thinking, I'm just making up Greek words just to come up with new sermon material, but I'm really not. You know, translation is a tricky thing, right? But there are a couple of problems with the way we read this in English. So I'm going to go through three main ones, and then we're going to talk about maybe a new way to look at this story. So first, uh, the Greek term that is translated as short in stature in, in the Bibles that you have in your pews or some version of that, probably most are translations, almost certainly universally modern scholars do not believe that it all refers to his physical size, right? 
It's not, a, it's not a reference to his physical stature. It refers to usually age, like uh, age or social standing, or maybe both in this case, right? In fact, the same word is used earlier in the Gospel of Luke when it talks about how Jesus grew in stature among God and men, right? That's not a story about Jesus getting tall physically. It's a story about how he is seen in light of other people. He's getting older and people are respecting him and, and those kind of things, right? So it's like the difference in our language, in, in English of maybe saying the difference between someone who is little and someone who is belittled, right? One is about being little. One is about how you are seen and treated in front of other people. So it isn't that Zacchaeus didn't stand high. It's a reference to the fact that he didn't have high standing, either because of his young age or because of the lack of respect that comes from uh, being a, uh, a tax collector like he was, or maybe even both, right? If he's in a field that no one likes and he's young and he's rich, most people are not going to like him probably in that culture. So, sorry, but Zacchaeus may not have been a wee little man in the way we think. Secondly, there's a verb in here that's associated with the crowd and the way that they're uh, working against Zacchaeus and his inability to see. And that verb from the part of the crowd is a causative verb. And what that means in that tense is uh, it's a nod to the idea that they are actively trying to shut him out. So this is a concerted effort on the, on the crowd's part. It's not that he showed up late, and because he showed up late and he happens to be little, he has trouble seeing from the cheap seats, right? No, this is a crowd actively organizing and choosing to stand between Zacchaeus and Jesus, to come between the sinner and the Savior, so to speak. They're intentionally keeping him from seeing. It's an active a causative thing that the crowd is doing. Finally, and this is the one that really kind of blew my mind a little bit a couple years ago when I read about it and studied it the first time. Finally, the verb tense that is around Zacchaeus' response to the crowd getting angry when he's talking to Jesus in the crowd indicates not a future action, but a completed action. So here's what I mean by that. What it means is when you read it in the correct tense, it means that he has already given half his money to the poor. It already happened. It's a, it's a completed action. It means he's already been giving to the poor and is a committed to exorbitantly paying back anyone he may have defrauded in the past. I'd always been taught that this was the moment that the tax collector turned. He was converted, right? Uh, now he would start giving to the poor. Now he would start doing the things he was supposed to do. But that's not really what the verb tense here indicates. What it indicates is that he was already doing these things. In regards to paying four times back what was taken, um, he doesn't say that he did take anything he shouldn't, right? Maybe this is an actual commitment to doing something in the future, or maybe it's an indication of his own confidence in the fact that he knows his hands are clean, right? He knows he hasn't defrauded anyone. Don't know exactly. Um, for instance, it would be like me boldly and publicly right now committing to paying back a thousand times whatever I have stolen in bank robberies. I don't mind standing by that promise at all because I know a thousand times zero is almost always zero, right? So to review, sorry about your song, but Zacchaeus is probably not short, just disliked and disrespected by the crowd. The crowd is actively trying to keep him from Jesus. They have intent behind this entire situation. And finally, it appears that Zacchaeus may have already been an exceptionally righteous guy. 
He may have already been doing all the things that you would hope someone like him might do. Uh, and, and despite what the religious people around him assumed about his character based on his role and his job, he seems to be a pretty upright guy. That makes this a very different story, doesn't it? It's not a tale of repentance and newfound salvation of a single wretched individual soul. Rather, we're talking about a story of a religious community unilaterally determining that Jesus needed to be protected from the neighbor that they have pronounced judgment on. This is not about the prodigal son coming home. This is about the older brother changing the locks at the father's house so the brother can't even get in. It's not an indictment of tax collectors. It's a judgment on the crowd, a judgment on Jesus' followers who claim to be with him while standing between him and the rest of the world. And that's when things get a little frustrating because that's not the story we're used to. And now I've got to come up with a way to preach this newly found plot, right? And that's tough nowadays because Christ's people never anymore unfairly judge people and say that they don't belong to the community. That's just not something we do anymore. So what will we talk about? Well, today, uh, we'll take a couple minutes and imagine a world where the people who claim Christ are not a barrier to Christ. We tend to have this reputation, don't we? And we tend to have earned it. I read, I read some studies that went out recently that talked about how many people are actually pretty big fans of Jesus. They just don't want anything to do with the people that claim Jesus. And I get it. I've been there. Sometimes still get there. A couple weeks ago, a very outspoken uh, partisan uh, Republican and president of a Southern Baptist seminary plainly stated that no one could be a faithful Christian and vote, quote-unquote, incorrectly. In other words, vote like them. Building walls, boxing people out. This should bother you deeply, as it bothered me deeply, but let's be honest. We all do this. I know more than a few progressive Christians who would be less than happy to see a new person walk in the church doors that had that famous red hat on. I've been a part of a church who had ushers that worked the door, who would catch folks at the door and recommend to all black visitors that they consider someplace else, someplace that would be more fitting for them when they came to visit on a Sunday morning. And you say, yeah, I know, that happened a lot in the 50s and 60s. No, this was the late 80s. This happened in the late 80s. I've been in church staff meetings where it was said, okay, obviously, uh, if those two women are a couple, we can't have them keep coming back and participating in things. Otherwise, they might think the church is something. It's not, we just, let's, we're all in agreement, we've got to nip that in the bud, right? Okay, move on. It feels like Religious crowds are always adept at standing between Jesus and those they don't consider worthy of Jesus. It's easy to see this in others. Let's tell the truth on ourselves as well. There are kinds of people that you, yes, even open-minded you, can't imagine as righteous. There are those for, for whom you have already made the final judgment and you have no desire to move from it. There are people, individuals, groups, that you cannot fathom there being a world in which they belong to Christ the same way you do. You have your people just like I have mine. 
They are the ones that are easier to crowd out than to risk having them in the circle. They could give half their money to the poor and you would still be completely suspect. Obviously, they are not us. As Jesus seeks to recruit more hosts for his table, we keep hiring ourselves out as God's bouncers. And of course, a bouncer is the last role you want to take on in a world of grace. It makes little sense to keep the people you dislike outside the kingdom of God, which is chiefly characterized by God's love and proximity for the outcast. As we see in the story, God is immediately drawn to the very ones we try to separate God from. As soon as we decide who is out, God makes the outside in. It's pretty frustrating for us bouncers. I did a good job at this door. I kept out the riffraff, and then you moved the party outside. It's hard to keep the boundaries when grace just keeps erasing the lines. So the question for us to contend with tonight is what kind of crowd will we be in practice? Our culture has no shortage of people enforcing the boundaries that they have arbitrarily drawn and erected. In fact, it's hard to find any area anymore, any place we can go, anything we can watch or participate in, anything, where there isn't, hasn't become this clearly divided us and them. Right? The whole world seems to be this collection of crowds trying to keep those people at bay. Perhaps the great tragedy of the church today is that we have largely gone along with it. We have accepted the categories that have been presented to us in the world, and we have sorted ourselves out accordingly. As if that has anything to do with the one we claim to follow. Yet here we are, a people called by Jesus to the radical befriending of whichever child of God happens to be before us. A people called to refuse to pretend that we have either the right or capacity to determine another's worth or worthiness in the kingdom of God. To live in the grace so freely offered to us. It's hard to do. It's hard to remember, isn't it? And since it's the kind of thing we may need help remembering, I thought maybe tonight we could replace the children's song I ruined with one that reflects the story a little better. So I very poorly tried to rewrite the lyrics. I still think it's better than the original because I don't repeat the same line twice in the beginning. But we rewrote the lyrics poorly in hopes that it might help some ideas stick. And because I thought it'd be funny if I asked Olivia to sing it with a little more authority than the children's song typically is sung. So Olivia, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to really bring this one down.
Perfect. I can only assume this will be on the new Ecclesia Hymns album sometime soon. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. I mean, I was going to do it, but yeah, it's important to spread out. So may we not give ourselves over to the crowd mentality. May we choose to stand in the back. May we choose to climb the trees so that whoever thinks they're on the outside realize that they're closer than they ever imagined. May our radical openness to each other be the characteristic that causes us to appear the most peculiar in a world so committed to sorting itself. May we be a community committed to nothing other than God's unconditional love, God's unending grace, and God's ever-open doors. Because God can, God's kingdom has no need of any more bouncers. So let us just hold the doors open and let Jesus do what he came to do.